Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome back to Believe in Softball. I'm your host, Jenna Becerra, and August is upon us. It's my birthday month, so I've got that going for me, but I don't know how it's already almost two-thirds of the way through 2021. It's crazy to me. 2020 felt like forever, and then this year feels like it's just flown by in comparison. But at least this year has been full of softball. That's been such a treat, and we're not done yet. So some reminders for ways to keep up with the show. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Believe in Softball. That's B-L-E-A-V. Subscribe to Believe in Softball on YouTube and actually watch the videos as well. All right, let's go through today's order. First, we'll cover our bases. I'll share some news and updates from the softball world. Then we'll head into today's interview with Gray Robertson. He covers college softball in depth and is just a huge promoter of our sport as well. And I had a lot of fun just riffing with him about a ton of different things. So I'm excited for you to hear it. And then we'll end things with the foul tip of the week where we share tips to help us get better. All right, let's get started. Covering our bases. First, just a quick word from our sponsor, because if you're here, that means you like sports. And if you're into sports betting, Bet Online is where you should go to win money today. Whether it's live bets during games or futures for who you think will win the championship, Bet Online has all the latest odds, news, and information for all your online sports betting needs. Visit the website today or use your mobile device to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. So before the next big game, head on over to Bet Online and start playing today. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. And there is just so much softball. I love it personally, just from the college game to the Olympics to the Florida Gulf Coast League, to independent pro team competition, to travel ball, to Athletes Unlimited coming up. What a year. And what a summer, too, that we're experiencing right now. So first, just starting off with the Florida Gulf Coast League. This is a summer softball league for college players. We've talked about it on the show before. They come together in Florida, and they play on new summer teams with new coaches. And they've played now the last couple summers. So basically, it's awesome because college softball doesn't stop after the Women's College World Series. Amazing. And I have to say congrats to the 2021 champions, the Sarasota Circus. Fun facts, this was actually their first year that the team itself existed. Second year of FGCL, but first year for the team. Pretty cool to win a championship. And not totally surprising when you're coached by a Florida State alum and national champion like Carson Gordon. So really, really cool to see that after all the amazing play this summer. It was a little bit overshadowed by the Olympics just because there was such a buildup for that, but it really is another part of the softball world that has amazing players from college, and I think it's important and could be the start of something bigger for female athletes. And right, we talked with Amanda Scarborough when she was on the show about how all of these things work together. This is an example of that. And Gray is the voice of FGCL on the broadcast. So we definitely break this down more in our conversation as well. So stay tuned for that. On a heavier note, some unfortunate news coming from the pro side with the National Pro Fast Pitch League. So unfortunately, news came out. They announced that the NPF, which is, as we know, the main pro softball league in the U.S., announced that it's suspending league operations. 
so as we've talked about on the show, you know, they had canceled both the 2020 and 2021 seasons, mainly due to the COVID-19 pandemic and also preparation for the Tokyo Olympics, which was also up in the air due to COVID-19. And it just basically cut off all revenue streams. And they had to let go staff, including some of the essential services that you would need to operate a league. And a direct quote from the announcement is, at this point, resumption of activity is impossible to predict. You know, it's just sad. My heart sank a little bit when I saw this news because so many players have passed through the NPF and a lot of greats, a lot of the greats. Remember when Monica Abbott made history signing the first million dollar contract? That was with an NPF team. You remember like the national teams playing in the league and getting to prep for Olympic qualifiers? Like it's just, it's so sad to see a path in softball start to fade. And, you know, I saw Haley Wagner, for example, who's another NPF alum. She said that the NPF is really what gave her her start and allowed her to continue playing after college as a professional. And I'm glad, and she said this too, that we still have Athletes Unlimited, right? That's another thing that we still have in terms of pro softball for players to get that opportunity. And some of the independent pro teams too, like the USSA Pride, This Is Us, and Team Florida, the new team from the Florida Gulf Coast League. So I just say it makes you want to have all hands on deck to support them. So follow them on Instagram, guys, at USSA Florida Pride. These are all the players that we loved seeing in the NCAA stage. I mean, Odyssey Alexander, Alyssa Palomino Cardoza, Jesse Harper, Haley Cruz are all new additions to the team. Then you still have Jesse Warren, Amanda Lorenz, Shay Knighton, and Alicia Ocasio. These are some of our favorite players that are still playing. Like, let's take advantage of that. And with the Florida Gulf Coast League Team Florida, it's at FGCL underscore team underscore Florida. And they have newcomers like Oklahoma's Shannon Sale, ASU's Maddie Hackbarth, plus people like Morgan Howe that we also love watching, right? It's like they've been playing this summer. They have been. Again, the Olympics were such a big thing that we were all focused on, but they've been playing this summer and it's been good softball. So just follow them on Instagram. Like I said, those are their handles and watch. Follow and watch. It's huge. And then also don't forget about This Is Us as well. So you can follow them at This Is Us SB. They've been on a little bit of a hiatus because of how many Olympians were on the team. They've been a little busy, but follow them too, because that's going to be some great softball as well. So, you know, it it makes you want to cling to what you have left, this news from the MPF. So all the teams and organizations I just mentioned, but it also just makes it even more glaring that we need a core traditional pro league that mirrors the MLB. I want that partnership. Again, I've said it multiple times. I want that what the WNBA has with the NBA. I want to learn for them from the Japan Softball League because their corporate backing that they have from Toyota and some of these other companies and the fan base has been instrumental to their success. And then look where the Japanese national team ended up at the Olympics. I don't think those things are completely unrelated, right? So it's it's tough because just as soon as we revive the dream of Olympic softball, we take a step backward with pro softball. And, you know, college softball is the jam. Like, it is awesome. But we have to create more pathways for players after their four years are up. we got to keep that dream alive for young girls that are playing. We have to. And speaking of those girls, actually, travel ball has also been really busy. You know, the big recruiting events in Colorado, it just... 
it takes me back, you know, to my day. We had huge showcases back in the day in Boulder and Aurora, and I've been seeing coaches were back, you know, in July and earlier this summer recruiting in person. They still are. And one thing I saw on social media too, travel teams, make sure you have handouts with bios of all the members of your team readily available for the coaches. Either someone's handing them out or there's a bunch clipped to the fence for coaches to just grab on their own. Just make it easy for them because I've been seeing feedback from coaches that it helps them tremendously in getting players on their radar and learning more about them. And it's also a reflection on your program. Like, do you invest in these players? Like, is this a good program that they should be looking at, right? So it's just all around a good move to make. But, but not only the recruiting, like we're also into nationals. So PGF nationals happen, Premier Girls Fast Pitch in SoCal, Huntington Beach. That's really like the hot spot for softball in the, in the whole country, really, but especially in California, of course. And pretty cool stuff. Like in addition to the games, you know, they had Team USA Olympians come out like Ali Aguilar, Janie Reed, Aubrey Monroe and Michelle Moultrie. And they went and spoke to the players. Pretty cool their championship game, and the all-star game. The all-star game, by the way, which Alabama's Montana Fouts and LSU's Aaliyah Andrews helped coach. Pretty awesome. But those things were on ESPNU. Amazing. Like, this is awesome that already at that level, they're getting to experience that kind of exposure. And in the same vein, you know, the Alliance Fast Pitch Championship Series, also a thing, right? And we talked about this a little bit before on the show, but how it's sort of a new setup that mirrors more of what the college season structure is. And they actually had like all tournament teams, home run run derby, all-stars as well. And their all-star game aired on ESPNU at Hall of Fame Stadium in Oklahoma City. So what a taste for those players to really feel what it would be like in college and to already get those learnings and that experience under your belt is, is unreal. And it's just, it's grown so much since I played. And these are the players that will funnel through to the college scene and hopefully further if we can maintain that growth. And growth is one of the many themes of my conversation with today's guest. So let's head into the interview. He is an SEC broadcaster, voice of the Florida Gulf Coast League, fellow podcaster, and Alabama alum, Gray Robertson. Gray, thank you for joining. Thank you for having me. Well, can I just say... From a Stanford Cardinal to a member of the Alabama Crimson Tide, it is so nice to talk to somebody else who actually understands what it's like for their alma mater's mascot to like basically be a color. (laughs) Totally. (laughs) There aren't many of us out there. (laughs) There aren't. Like people don't understand. Like it's one of my biggest pet peeves when people say Stanford Cardinals, like plural. I'm just like, you cannot. You're thinking Louisville, wrong team. (laughs) We're not birds. Yeah. (laughs) No, I get that. There's always every year at the FGCL, there is some player that's like, so explain to me the elephant and the crimson tide thing. And I say, you know, here's a good website. This explains the full story. Go check it out. I'll try because at this point, I don't know. I've told the story so many times. I almost forget what the story is. (laughs) Well, okay. That's the thing though, right? Because you guys have the elephant thing. We're the same where it's like, people are like, oh, aren't you the Stanford trees? And I'm like, it's complicated. Like, 
the band's mascot's the tree, but we're not the, it's just, yeah. So I just appreciate having someone else who understands. <laughs> yeah. See, we're already connected already. We've been doing this for a minute and a half and there we go. I mean, it's, it's all set. <laughs> That's all we needed clearly. Yeah. <laughs> but honestly, like speaking of Alabama softball, I feel like there's so much to talk about there that could be, you know, forever. Um, but mm-hmm. what was your favorite moment or memory from this season? Oh boy. Um, the easy pick would be the perfect game over UCLA. USA Stanford alum should, I'm sure, appreciate anytime UCLA loses in the World Series as well. But I, I just, I, it was just that game. And uh, on the way back from a wedding I attended this past weekend, I listened to that broadcast just because I had seven hours to kill. And I just, I just remember that feeling of, oh, this is really happening. Montana hasn't given up a hit yet. Oh, wait, no, no one has reached base and it's the sixth inning. So it was just one of those things that you didn't even really believe that was happening until it happened. And Tom and I, Tom Canterbury, we, you know, four hours later, we're sitting in the hotel room and I looked at Tom and said, can you believe that Montana Fascist threw a perfect game against UCLA at the World Series? Uh, it was just incredible. Runner up, though, because, again, that's the easy pick. But I would say the Tennessee game in the SEC tournament when Alexi Kilfoyle came in, had some bad luck. Tennessee took a lead. Montana came back in, got out of the jam. The next inning, Bailey Hemphill hits a home run on a ball from the other batter's box. uh, And Montana came in and shut the door in in the seventh inning. And that game was when I felt like, oh, this team could really do something. You know, we're not just good. We're, this is a team that can actually maybe win a national championship. And unfortunately that didn't happen but there were so many good moments along the way. Well, super close, let's put it that way. But I'm not surprised to hear that Montana Fouts was the common denominator from your favorite moments from the season. I'll be honest with you. I actually tweeted. I like thought I was a genius, thought this was like maybe going to go viral, right? Which it's like whenever you think something will, that's not when it goes viral, like rule number one. But I was like, we should just start calling her Montana Outs get it and i thought like people would love it it got like three likes you know but i was like okay (laughs) i thought it was funny she's incredible she her work ethic um the way that she seems to play her best when she has to when lexi kilfoyle went down she and crystal goodman stepped up montana's era was barely over one in the three weeks where kilfoyle was out and it was pretty much all against ranked teams i mean She's really incredible, and I, she was at the wedding this past weekend. We caught up for a bit. It was great to chat with her. She is extremely excited about 2022 and uh, it, I think is really ready to to kind of you know keep building from last year. One thing that she was talking about was everything happens for a reason. There's a reason last year didn't happen for us, and they're ready to build on that. And uh, I'm, I'm just excited to see how she can get better because she's going to, she's got that much talent, but I honestly don't know what she can do to be better. <laughs> I know. And I, I love the fact that like Jenny, Finch, like just the storylines with her in addition to her performance, right? Like the fact that Jenny Finch, her like childhood idols, like watching her right there in the stands at the women's college world series. And she like, didn't even realize it. And I don't, I don't know. I, I agree with you though. I do feel like she's, only going to get better which is really exciting for us like thanks montana like if not just for your team but thanks for us because this is great we love covering you (laughs) oh my gosh i mean it's you know i just can't wait to see what fun we have in 2022 the schedule's fun the team is fun they're young 
but there are a lot of good pieces. And I mean, with Montana leading the way, sky's the limit. I mean, you know, at the end of that UCLA broadcast, one of the lines I that just kind of came to me was talking about the generational storylines, talking about how mm-hmm. at the beginning of the year we thought UCLA was a generational team. We thought and now know that Oklahoma was a generational offense. But that perfect game confirmed that Montana is a generational pitcher. And we've got potentially two more years left where she's playing in an Alabama uniform. And that is a really exciting prospect. It is. And I have to say, like, none of this could happen, right, without Patrick Murphy. And he is so, okay, my thing with Alabama is that we lost to Alabama in Super Regionals my junior year. So, you know, it's one of those things where it's like always going to be too soon to talk about. We were two outs away from winning. We didn't. I'll leave it there. But ever since then, I've always had a lot of respect for the way Patrick Murphy just approaches the game and how he approaches coaching. I have to say one of my favorite things that was like I kind of knew but was really confirmed this year was that he is kind of the master of the in-game interview. Oh, he kills it every time. Every time. And Oh, every time. And one of the things I really miss this year doing the TV games was getting to talk to the coaches because I love a talking to Murph and getting his thoughts. B, when we're, you know, broadcasting games between a mid-major school versus Alabama, a lot of times the people watching don't really know much about that other school. And I would love for the audience to get to hear why we like these coaches so much when we talk to them before the games. That's a whole nother can of worms. But I I just miss talking to Coach Murphy during the games, and he really is so good at it. Uh, We had on our podcast probably the best interview we've ever had with him at the end of this year. Excuse me. He um, he's just so open, so good. He always says the right thing, and as a person, he he just he knows how to build the right culture. He knows how to make you feel like you're part of the family, even if you're just the radio guy. And I appreciate that for sure. It was great to see him at the wedding this past weekend and catch up for a minute. And he was excited to see everybody that was there. I mean, he's just, he's just one of the best. Absolutely one of the best. Okay. Whose wedding was it? We, we, we got it. <laughs> All right. Previously, uh, the volunteer assistant, Morgan Lashley, um, she played at Hofstra under Larissa Anderson. And, one of our best friends. Um, it was great. You know, it was fun. We had a great time. It was up in North Carolina and it was, it was just a blast to see a lot of the recent graduates. Bailey Hemphill was there. Um, a lot of the coaching staff and uh, our little crew, the support staff, which is kind of a family in and of itself. Oh, a hundred percent. Those are my favorite, like the reunion type weddings, especially for college. There's just nothing quite like a college friend's wedding, you know, I don't know. Oh, it's, yeah. it's super special. Yeah, it was, it was just great to see everybody. And, um, you know, it was something that we had been all talking about since Morgan and Anthony got engaged, however many months ago that was. And it was, it was great to reconnect with everyone because this past year was so difficult in that we didn't really get to hang out as a group very much. The support staff would kind of hang out in our own little bubble we didn't get to talk to the team very much at all this year. Our interviews with Coach Murphy before the radio broadcast were all over the phone. We we never really got to see anyone in person. So it was nice to have a couple of days where we could all reconnect and hang out and eat and chat and laugh and tell stories. And uh, I had missed that. And I'm hoping that we get that again this year. I'm hoping that we're back to normal in the spring. I agree. And I went through the exact same thing at Stanford, like talking to Coach Alistair over Zoom when I'm down the street from Stanford's campus. You know, it's such a weird feeling. 
So I'm 100% with you on that. But I have to say, before I forget, you mentioned your podcast. So will you please just give like a quick background and let them know where they can find it and learn more? Absolutely. The Out of the Box podcast with Tom and me. Um, it's so funny. This was never part of the plan. But a couple of years ago, somebody was like, y'all should create a podcast. There are podcasts everywhere. And we're like, ah, maybe. And then more people said that we should. And so we decided to jump in. And um, it's been a blast. And we, we talk with ESPN people and, you know, Coach Murphy. And we did media days last summer where we talked to all the uh, SEC softball head coaches, which was kind of insane. And I, I still can't really believe we pulled it off. It's about to get crazier with Texas and Oklahoma joining the league soon. That's going to be a really long podcast series. But I've really enjoyed doing that with Tom and uh, it's wherever you get your podcasts, except apparently Google podcasts. I'm not sure what's up with Google, but add out of the box underscore pod on Twitter and just search out of the box and we'll have Tom Canterbury and Gray Robertson on the little logo. Awesome. We got to get Google on board. What are they doing? I don't know. People have been tweeting me about it. And I said, I mean, what am I going to do? Call Google. I don't, I don't know how to fix this. I am as technologically idiotic as it gets. I just press play. I don't know. I mean, heck, trying to get on this was a struggle today. I couldn't find the email. So who knows? I don't know. Do we blame Google again? Because I do have a Gmail and I went straight to your junk folder. So I don't know what the deal is. That's it. Google does not like, Google does not support softball podcasts is what I'm hearing. (laughs) Yeah, that'll be our new mission. (laughs) Come on, Google, grow the game. What are you waiting on? (laughs) Oh my gosh, seriously. Well, okay. You know, I want to talk to you about summer softball also because as exciting as the college game is and we could and do actually both of us go on and on about it like throughout the year there's a lot going on in the summer too in softball like in in our world that we have and you know it's it's the olympics it's the fgcl it's travel ball it's athletes unlimited coming up there's just so many things but because the olympics has obviously Mm -hmm. been at the forefront of people's minds I just want to get from you. What are your main takeaways from Olympic softball? Oh boy. How long is this podcast supposed to be? (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm kidding. Top three. (laughs) Okay. uh, First off, Haley McClenney did Alabama proud. uh, The best bat in the lineup until the last game, just because, oh no, she went over in one game. She was the best average in the entire Olympics. She killed it. And we're so proud of her. And it was incredible as someone associated with the university to watch one of the best players in program history continue to excel on the biggest stage. That being said, the offense was not great in Tokyo, and that was just really unfortunate. And there are so many decisions that go into that. And I had some issues with some coaching moves in the gold medal match that I thought were a little odd, Uh, in particular, a certain inning where I believe there was a runner on second, two outs, and the opportunity was there to maybe bring in a pinch hitter like Deja Molipola, like Bubba Nichols, like a Rachel Garcia. That opportunity was not taken, and the batter up struck out on three pitches. And would that be different if there was a pinch hitter? I have no idea. But the argument I made on the D1 Softball Live was if you're picking the 15 best players in your country at, at the sport of softball, you got to trust them and use them. And Deja Molipola, Bubba Nichols, and Rachel Garcia, although apparently Rachel was kind of hobbled a little bit with an injury. But, I mean, they they weren't used at all. And so I had an issue from that perspective. Um, I think that that Team USA is going to 
be really interesting when we get to 2028 because I think with the selections, they really need to just focus on getting more power bats because the, the pitching, I don't think it's going to be a problem. I could almost tell you right now who one and two are going to be. It's probably going to be Montana Fouts and Megan Foramo and maybe you know somebody else who, who we don't really know about yet but is rising up. Um, gosh, it, it fires me up a little bit because what was most disappointing is that you really thought that um, – Team USA was going to was going to get gold, and they were just outplayed and outmaneuvered in that gold medal match against Japan. And props to the Japanese; they they had a great game plan, they played a great game, but it it just felt like a missed opportunity for Team USA, considering now we have to wait another seven years to have a shot to get gold again. I agree that it was tough. I mean, I and I mentioned this on on this show, like in the past couple episodes, that you know I remember watching distinctly back in two thousand eight, and it. Whether anyone liked it or not, this this was a bit of a redemption story, especially when you're facing the same pitcher. But I agree with you. Like Japan did, they performed. Like they really did really, really well. Yeah. Like you can't take that away from them. I think there are definitely things that we could have done better, like you're saying, in terms of certain decisions and putting people in positions to be successful, et cetera. I would also say that it's kind of just nice that we even get to talk about this right now. Totally. Meaning like it was back, you know what I mean? I'm, I'm still like just tr- trying to ride high on that as well because like we get to have these conversations again because it was such a long road. Totally. And you know, the best part about it is it, it took a while, but the games were great. I mean, those, the medal matches, the, um, the last couple games of pool play were superb. I mean, it was great softball, not just from Team USA, but from everybody. Everything was fun to watch. Everything was entertaining. And I, I mean, that's only going to help continue to grow the game. And, you know, Google can help if they want, but the Olympics are doing their part. And I, again, I'm so excited to see what the future looks like. I will plug something else. Next time Team USA is together, we'll be right here in Birmingham, Alabama for the World Games next summer. And I do not know what my capacity will be, but I'm sure as heck planning on being there. And I, I'm really interested to see what that roster looks like because... I mean, no cat, probably no Monica. You never know, but it's going to be a completely different look for Team USA. I know. See, that's the thing too is the amount of what I thought was cool was just having the the OG veterans, but then you also have these like fresh college NCAA stars. Like you mentioned, Cat and Monica, obvious, but then also mm-hmm. you mentioned Deja, Rachel, Bubba, right? Like that dynamic was so interesting to me. And it was almost like this was sort of that transition from that 2008 era into this new era. And now we get to see like how exactly that's going to play out. And it doesn't just, I, I love that you pointed out like worlds too, because it's not just the Olympics. Like let's not forget all the other things that team USA and these international teams compete in. And we should try to support those as well, because that's hopefully going to help us get back into the Olympics more consistently. I mean, LA 2028 looks good. So hopefully, yeah. hopefully it lines up. And let me tell I mean, you know, you've, you've played in Tuscaloosa. These people are going to show up for this, for softball. And Haley McClenney, hopefully, will still be on the team. I don't know what her plan is. Um, hopefully, we'll have her on the podcast soon. But uh, there are Alabama players who are good enough to be on that team next summer. And if that possibility is there, and if they're on that roster, Alabama fans will show up, softball fans will show up. And even if they're not, those fans will still be there because – the people in the state have really fallen in love with the game. 
oh yeah, that that was really fun about playing in Tuscaloosa, even though everyone's rooting against us at the time, right? <laughs> but just the energy was awesome. And it was like an entire community, people tailgating before the games, you know, it just that I think energy actually throughout the SEC for softball and like other women's sports, not just the football team is really cool. Like I think that yeah. and actually pushes other conferences to try to do more. Totally. That's why I'm so interested because everybody with all this conference realignment stuff, the first thing everybody talks about is football. And I mean, it makes sense, but I don't think anyone really realizes how much of a game changer Oklahoma and Texas just being thrown into the SEC is. I mean, softball people do, but the average sports fan, like you're getting possibly the best team we've ever seen, but certainly the best offense we've ever seen just coming into the SEC in a couple of years and a Texas team that is always tough. And it, this league is going to be insane in 2025 or sooner. We'll see how all the negotiations work. I agree. And I, I was kind of saving this for later, but you know what? We'll just do it now. Like, sounds like you're excited. So you're pro this alignment. Um, sure. I mean, I, <laughs> I don't know. Here's my thing. I'm earlier, we were talking before we got on about not liking change. You make a joke about that. And <laughs> I agree. Like I am very much a traditionalist. I'm like, I've, I've been eating cheese pizza my whole life. I'm probably going to order a cheese pizza for dinner tonight <laughs> if I order pizza. So the, the concept of Texas and Oklahoma joining the SEC is very, very difficult for me to wrap my brain around just because it's not going to look right for a long time. It didn't look right when Missouri and A&M joined the league, although my Aggie mom was very thrilled. But I'll get, you know, I'll get used to it. And I think, bottom line, it will be the best move possible for the SEC. Uh, it can only help all the schools. And it does make, pretty officially, the SEC, I, I think, the most dominant league in most sports, really. I mean, football, you add in an Oklahoma team that's been in the playoff almost every year softball you already have almost every team making the ncaa tournament you're adding oklahoma and texas who will be world series threats every year uh, men's basketball women's basketball i mean you're you're adding powerhouses in almost every sport and so it is the right move for the league uh, on a personal level i'll get there not there yet but maybe one day i'm kind of with you i'm, I'm not quite there yet um, I, and I'm thinking about this from a softball perspective right now. Obviously, there are, like you said, tons of other, uh, I don't know if repercussions is the right word because I don't know if it's positive or negative yet. We'll see. But it's crazy to think that I already agree with you. Like with A&M going, I was like, oh, well, that feels weird. Why is that like the, one of the main Texas schools going over to the SEC? I One thing that's a positive, I think, is like, okay, at least Texas and Oklahoma and A&M will be back together again because I feel like there are such traditional rivalries there that that'll be interesting. Yeah. Um, but I'm, I'm with you. I kind of liked having, you know, the SEC already sends like 13, what, teams to the NCAA tournament, which I have my thoughts on the bracket and, and how RPI oh, is. We can get there. I'm yeah. ready. I have stuff I have there, too. <laughs> all kinds of thoughts on that. I don't know if it always should quite be that way, but regardless, like, they're sending a ton of teams, end of story, to the tournament yeah. every year. And then to add those teams, it's like that was sort of, to me, the core and the heart of the Big 12 for softball. So to, to kind of take that away, well, not just for softball, really for a lot of sports, but to kind of take that away feels like we're gutting one conference in a way. Um, and so the power five dynamic is just very, very different from that 
decision. So I just, I'm, maybe I will get there. Like I thought it was weird when Utah and Colorado joined Pac-12 too, a while back. And I got used to that. (laughs) So I I don't know, maybe I'll get there too. But right now, like my gut reaction is kind of, I don't know. It's like, why? But we'll see. Yeah. I mean, I feel like for me, I just have to wait and see what it looks like when the dust actually settles. Because today there was that report that the Pac-12 and the Big 12 are talking about a merger or I don't really know what it is, helping each other out, mutual, I don't know what's going on, but they're talking about something. And I, you know, I liked having the power five and I liked the structure of that and how it all looked. And was it perfect in any sport? Of course not. Nothing ever is, but it was easy to understand. And we're really starting to complicate some things. And the last thing I want to see in my lifetime, I know I will one day, I just don't want to see super conferences. I don't want to see 25 teams in one league. That's boring. It waters things down. It's also impossible to figure out what that would look like schedule-wise. I don't want to have to create a schedule like that. Hopefully I never would. I, I don't know. It just It's just tough to see the way things were when I grew up and how they changed a little bit, but now they're changing cataclysmically and they're never going to be the same. I agree because there's something sort of counterintuitive about having to go to a different time zone to play a team in your conference. You know, I think that was part of it, right? It's like, well, geographically, this is initially at least how things were sort of laid out and things have just gotten so mixed together that that's not really the case anymore. Again, it's like Texas, Texas is kind of like its own thing. I don't really consider it part of the South. I think it's like its own world, right? But now it's, it's my grandfather would agree with you. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's it's its own thing. I think I feel like a lot of Texans think that too, though. It's not. Yeah, it's I don't know. It's its own thing. And then even like the Pac-12, it's like this is Pacific. And now we have mountain schools, right? Like, it, and I don't know. It's it's just I feel like sometimes we get a little carried away. So I'm definitely with you on that. Yeah, if you have to set your clock back or behind forward, I'm not sure what the term is, more than an hour to go play a conference game, you shouldn't be in the same conference. That, yeah. yeah, I mean, because, you know, Georgia and Auburn, they're, Auburn is basically in Georgia, but they do have to change time zones. So I'll give them a pass there. But, you know, if, if the rumors are true and if everything collapsed and Oklahoma State went to the Pac-12, that's, that's a little much, yeah. just a little bit. Well, and my head immediately goes to OSU in the Pac-12 is Oregon State, and they're also orange and black. So then you have Oklahoma State, kind of, like if that were to happen, right? It's like, I've already kind of noticed that a weird thing about the Pac-12 is that everybody has the same colors to a certain degree or similar ones. It's like USC and Arizona State. I know maroon is different, whatever, but it's the same dynamic. Cal, UCLA, like, I, and I, I don't know. It's like, can we expand a little here? But that's like a, a side tangent. Well, we've got all the Tigers. So True. <laughs> half the SEC is Tigers. Great point. That's another thing where it's like, okay, if you say go Tigers and you don't know who you're referring to might be a sign that (laughs) things are a little weird. A lot of times it just depends on how you spell go. That's what, uh, you know, for those LSU fans, but yeah, yeah, you're right. (laughs) Man, it's, it it gets really, really complicated really quickly, but I, I'm moving on because if we don't now, we never will. Um, (laughs) Speaking of college players, though, I I really think that the Florida Gulf Coast League is so interesting. And I'll preface this by saying that playing summer ball 
was one of the best things I did during my college career. It was one of the best decisions I could have made for myself mentally, physically, just in every way. And so to see a much larger opportunity like this now available to these athletes, to me is fantastic. So maybe I'll just start with how did you get involved initially with FGCL? I miss softball. It was a COVID year. I had graduated college and I had not called a softball game since Alabama, Arkansas on March 9th. Wow. And I was sitting there and I had a lot of broadcaster friends who were going off to do Cape Cod. And I don't know, it's, you know, I, I like calling baseball, but it's not, it's not quite my love like softball is. I've gotten the bug, as they say. And I found out about the summer league because at the time I was like, well, does softball have that? I had no idea. And I Googled it and the FGCL was going into year one. So I sent an email to Leslie Ginder and said, hey, if you ever need anyone to talk about y'all or you're streaming the games or whatever, just let me know. I'd love to get involved. And I was apparently, I guess, the first one to do that, to email them. So she shot me an email back and we started talking and I talked to Ryan more about it. And then before I knew it, I was packing up the car and going to stay in Florida for six weeks. I just, just left the house and my parents were like, do you know what you're getting into? And I said, no, that's the fun of it. And I was so lucky, absolutely so lucky that I got into it when I did, because I, I wouldn't trade the last two summers for the world. It's, it's awesome. Like, I, I love that, that. I love that your story also says like being proactive leads to good things. First of all, like that's just yeah. a life lesson we should all take. But just the league itself, I love that you referred to the Cape. Because if anyone who's watched Summer Catch, which if you haven't, that's ridiculous. It's one of the best baseball movies, in my opinion. But, you know, there are, that's a real thing. Like there are opportunities and there are huge opportunities and almost like automatics for any baseball player that's interested in playing beyond college, especially to go play in those summer leagues. And we didn't have anything like that for softball. I mean, the one that I played in it's like in it was in southern california and it was just kind of like a 23 and under even though i don't think that was enforced but it was just like a women's league in the summer and that was great but there was nothing that was like a higher level organized thing that was put together so many good players from all over the country were where i was too but this is like a real deal league you know it's yeah. just it's more there's more investment here clearly and i think it's you know, when we say we want to grow the game, that means growing how we develop players like this as well. Totally. And I'm, I mean, my favorite part about it continues to be the people and not just the players, but the coaches. The coaches are real smart and we, we have smart people working in this league. The players want to learn. One of the biggest pieces of feedback we got this year was that they wanted more off days so that they could practice and work and train because there really wasn't time for that with how, um, compact the schedule was and the just constant threat of weather <laughs> in Florida during the summer and that stuff that's being worked on for next summer I've already essentially written up a mock draft of what the schedule would look like so that those practice days exist but it's just amazing that everybody that comes to this league comes because they love softball and they leave loving softball even more, but also further appreciating the relationships that they made with players from other teams, coaches from other teams, the instruction they got from people they've never met. Um, I'm trying to remember who was telling me this story, but it was one of the Oklahoma players was helping to teach 
one of the other girls on her team, it was either Shannon Sale who was coaching or, or Riley Boone from the Squeeze, about this is what we do at Oklahoma. And they were kind of taking that instruction and going through some of their warm-ups and some of their game prep with that kind of mindset. And, I mean, that's invaluable to, to be learning from a player who just won a national championship. <laughs> so it really is amazing that the things that the girls get out of it and um, hopefully we'll continue to get out of it as we morph the schedule more to look like an actual college season with those training days. But man, I mean, just to kind of spin it back, I know that was a long tangent with a lot of running threads, but it really is all about the people. And I feel really honored to have made some of my best friends in this league. And I can't wait to see everybody when we all play each other this year. I mean, that's when the best relationships are made or like when you're kind of in the trenches or doing something new or big together like that. That's what why teammates are so close. That's why those college weddings are so fun. And it's not just the actual players. It's the whole staff and everybody involved, too. So I I love that. And I think it's so cool. It's only like a couple summers now and we're already seeing those relationships that you've made and others have made. I I think that's awesome and kind of what it's all about, really, at the end of the day. I mean, I've joked with her about this, and I guess I'll say this on a podcast, but Florida State, this is not breaking news, but Florida State is coming to Tuscaloosa first week of March to play in a tournament with Texas and another team that I don't know about yet. And our Devin Flaherty was there in the FGCL, starting second baseman uh, at Florida State. And I told her, I was like, Devin, hope Lonnie's okay with the Alabama radio guy just like coming over to the dugout and chatting it up with you for a little bit because that's what I'm going to do. I mean, it's going to be seeing – uh, it's going to be like seeing friends. It's going to be a fun reunion. There were 45,000 Florida State players in the league this year, so it's going to be fun to see all of them in Tuscaloosa. Um, still a little raw. Devin and I did not really talk about what happened in OKC, but that's okay. Um, it'll still be really fun to see all of them next year. For sure. I just I love these crossovers. And when you mentioned earlier, too, about like literally transferring knowledge, like an Oklahoma player sharing what like they learned to others. Like that's an important part too. Like if we think about it, you know, everyone was so excited about Odyssey Alexander and JMU for great reasons. Like, Hey, it's not just the the power five anymore. Like we're expanding this thing for really competitive teams. Things like that will contribute to that because I think the spread of information and correct information and valuable information like that has been a key factor into the growth we've already seen. So the more and more crossovers you have in a, in these types of settings, I think that's only going to contribute to that growth. Yeah, totally. And these girls are smart. I mean, I learned so much just sitting in the dugout before a game, listening to the banter about, grips and just so many different things. I mean, my mind would be blown some mornings hearing what they were talking about as they were getting ready for games. And, you know, to also get the coaching from people who played at different places, who maybe in some cases played for the head coach that you play for now. Uh, it, It was just so interesting to hear that information bounce around and so many people do things in different ways and all of them can be right in their own way. So, um, like you said, it's only going to make everybody better as they continue to develop and learn and, and figure out new ways to attack things. And I, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm rambling for sure, but it is so fun to watch all these players interact. And um, I hope a lot of them come back next year. And I hope we've got a new crop of new people who come in and can teach everybody else some more things in 2022. You know what? You're right. I'm just thinking about like, 
dugout banter is the best locker room banter is the best just like getting the that's how you build those relationships that you're talking about too like being able to interact together as a team and then the teams with the staff and media etc like I, I that's I, I think it's awesome and yeah, yeah. go ahead Sorry. I mean well I mean I was just gonna say that what's so interesting about the summer too like yes you might have a player you played with in college on your team but for the most part you're starting over with 13 teammates for six weeks and it's always interesting to see which team can gel the fastest I have always made my week one champion pick based on which team I think has the most chemistry and is also like talented, but still if they're playing for each other together, they've got that team chemistry early on. It's easy to see. And nine times out of 10, those teams go pretty far. I know we've only had two years, but the evidence is pretty overwhelming when the team chemistry has struggled a little bit, no matter how talented that team is, those teams are pretty usually a quick exit in the playoffs. So it really is all about that bond that those players can build even in an extremely short amount of time. Those are the intangibles. Like those are the intangible things that you can, some, some of it's not taught, like some of it's just inherent, but some things you can learn how to, I don't know, better foster those things. Like I remember, like I talked to Natasha Watley during the Olympic stuff and she was talking about in terms of, from her experience, the selection of Team USA when she was on the team, learning about how they went through that, because how do you pick from so many talented Americans, for example? And during her time, she said like they really focused on like not only who's the best in terms of performance, but who's the best blend on the field. So basically, like who is going to be a versatility always helps since it's a 15 person roster, but also like who right. is going to be that teammate that elevates the rest of the team and can create cohesiveness you know within that group of people so those things are it's never too early to learn that yeah absolutely and I mean again also um you know the the interesting relationships I always love to watch are, are with pitching staffs because it's so it can sometimes be complicated for the coaches to to have to work things because it's summer league people come to play and uh, at the same time, you also want to win. And so it's always interesting to see how those substitutions go and how staffs are formed and what everybody's role is. And as an outsider of the team, as a broadcaster, sometimes I, I don't like the roles that I see. Sometimes I think a pitcher should be starting more instead of coming in as a closer because she's got the best ERA on the team. But that's not up to me. And it really is interesting to see how those players buy in so fast even in, like I said, such a short amount of time. And we're only there for six weeks. And it feels a ton shorter, let me tell you. I mean, this felt like the fastest summer of my life. I, I, it felt like a week and a half. It was incredible. And these players all want to get better. They all also want to win. I mean, the ring is a, a fun little, you know, fun little gift if you can accomplish your goals at the end of the summer. But they really all do want to get better, and that's the bottom line. And that's why the league was created in the first place, to give those college athletes a chance to get better in the offseason because, for the most part, that didn't really exist uh, at a centralized location with players from all over the country. But I think that's exactly right because um, I think of it, it reminds me a little bit of Athletes Unlimited as well. In, in the term, in terms of like that short window, athletes unlimited is only five weeks. Like this is six weeks, right? But also having to come together with with a team, people you don't have those like four years to create bonds with, and 
it's almost like in the same way that the Cape and these other leagues do for baseball players, it kind of gives you a taste of what pro life would be. Yes. And I think that's a positive too, because not only does it make them better for college, but Hey, if they want to continue and take this further, they're getting a taste of what that would be like. Totally. And you know, that that's an interesting conversation that we have all had kind of behind the scenes because one of the biggest discussions has been the schedule and what we want that to look like this past couple of years. And this year it was kind of because of, you know, some games played against team Mexico and team Canada, but it was really a hodgepodge. I mean, you're playing, there were some teams that played a team four times. There were some teams that played another team twice. Uh, and those two games were in week one and week five. So there wasn't really a ton of strategy to go into that. And while that is kind of more conducive to what the pro schedule would look like, one of the reasons why I'm pushing a different schedule for this year was because I want to see everybody have to get better and and play a season as if we were doing college. Um, Because I would talk to some coaches and say, Hey, who are you starting against this team? And they'd say, well, whoever's next on the rotation, not whoever that team hadn't seen yet because we were playing so many games and you only had four pitchers or three pitchers. You really didn't have the capability to play around with things like that. So that is one thing I'm really hoping that we get done for next summer. Um, I don't want to unveil anything, but it is uh, it is certainly more collegiate like and it makes everybody have to um, have to play like it's college. And I think also to help the coaches we'll have to coach like it's college, because a lot of these coaches do have dreams of moving upward. Um, one of my favorite people in the league, Lindsay Fico, had to leave because she got a job at Mercer like the second week of the league. So she was the coach of the link. She had to go. But I mean. You know, that's one of the reasons why you coach in one of these things to help develop talent and also get better at your craft. And we've got a lot of young, smart people in the league who I think would really benefit from having to make those decisions, having to think about how you want to pitch a three game series against a team, because really that option, um, that option wasn't really there this past summer or last summer either. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned like people who have aspirations too. like I think about Carson Gordon too, having been that Florida State, you know, national champion. And now here she is coaching and then she wins in the Florida Gulf Coast League. I mean, I think it's a cool thing for not just the players, but everybody involved in terms of development. I think that's awesome in terms of next year and, and how you're looking to evolve with the schedule, et cetera. Would there still be like the playoff uh, sort of situation with like all stars? And I know that like there was some um, interaction with like USSA Pride, so they got some interfacing with the, a pro team. Like, are those types of elements still going to be involved? As f- I don't know about the Pride stuff. Um, that's that's not. I assume so. I mean, it sure. has been for the last two years. So un- unless something is changing that I don't know about. I would assume so. But yeah, I mean, double elimination playoffs, um, all-star game. This year we would have hoped to do a home run derby, but that wasn't possible because rain really did just (laughs) throw a wrench in all plans consistently. Um, But yeah, I mean, you know, the schedule will consist of pretty much, hopefully the same amount of games. And again, I say this all, you know, this isn't something we've totally decided yet, but it's got a lot of momentum. And I, I spent three hours yesterday drawing up a mock-up like a, a crazy person of what the schedule would look like. And there was a lot of erasing and backspacing, but I got it done. And, uh, and you know, we've talked about it a little bit. 
but really it would just be kind of a different format for the regular season and everything else would, would hopefully look the same. Yeah, I think that's great because it sounds like you, you're keeping the the key elements that have been working really well and that are exciting. And I think that's yeah. that's the most important thing. And it's fun. Okay, the other thing I think is fun too, love the team names and the uniforms. It is so okay. like minor league baseball vibes where you just like, they're a little more outrageous or not as serious. You know, I just, I like it. What are your thoughts? I, well, <laughs> My radio partner, Tom, he came down to call the last couple of weeks and he walked up to me one morning and said, well, the circus are certainly here. <laughs> you can't miss them. And I, well, I don't know. What was your favorite uniform? I mean, I'm sure you saw some on Twitter. Was there anything that stuck out to you? Was it I mean, the polka dots for the circus? I, I, okay. I like the circus, but I like the colorful ones too, with the slice and the squeeze, like the, yeah. the, the colors. Um, I, it's interesting to me that they're like, kind of the same logo just a different color and just swapped out you know that's interesting yeah. to me but like I and don't get me wrong like could could we like make this super serious and, and stuff we could but I just sort of got those like minor league baseball vibes um and I know like some of the like diehard deep cut fans of minor league baseball like really enjoy that stuff and it could be a cool local sort of thing yeah I mean I've had fun with it because I can kind of play around with phrasing and wording because i mean the slice what a ridiculous name uh, right but it's I, crazy yeah it's it's insane but i can walk like every time i walk into a dugout i say what's up slices how we doing what's up squeezes circus people how we doing you know yeah. uh, I, I, there are so many different ways to play that uh it does make shouting out final score and closing lines sometimes difficult to get the verb tense and whatnot because i'm never really sure what anything is but that's okay. That's a side effect. I mean, I'm, it's still fun. <laughs> I wouldn't trade the circus out for the Grizzlies or something like that. Yeah, I just, I just think it's different, you know, because one of the reasons that summer ball was so beneficial for me is because I, I was able to take myself not so seriously, um, which then made me better for my college seasons moving forward. So that's like one of the ways that I was like, oh, this is the best thing that I think players could do for themselves. You know, and so I, I kind of yeah. saw elements of that in FGCL too. So that's that's why I think I liked it because it's like, okay, we can just all take a breath. You still want to play hard. You still want to get better. You want to do all those things, but like you can also kind of reset and sometimes maybe get back to like fundamentals or just like why you even love the game in the first place. You know, it's a great form for that. Totally. And it's so great to see players use the league for what it was created for. I mean, Sarah Willis is is my best example from this past summer because her changeup is so good. I mean, it's, it is stupid good. It is, it is, it is a pitch that can make her a solid number two at Washington behind Gabby Plain this year. But at the beginning of the summer, she could not control the curve and the rise to save her life. I mean, there was one game I think where she walked eight people, and the only pitch she could throw first strike was the changeup. By the end of the summer, her command was there. I think she walked. Outside of the champ series, which, you know, she had thrown four games in four days, so giving her a bit of a pass. But going into the championship games, she had, I think, walked three people in the last five games, something like that. I mean, her improvement throughout the summer was really fun to watch. And I also have to say, as much fun as it is, when the playoffs come around, that switch is flipped. Because some of the best games I saw in all of 2021, including the college season, 
happened in the FGCL playoffs. I mean, there was one day where we had three walk-offs in seven games. It was crazy. And it's interesting to see when those athletes go from, all right, we're having fun to now it's time to win. It's, it's almost, I'm, I'm intimidated. Like I I don't want to, I don't want to get in the way because I know that they can't be stopped. Well, as an athlete, you do have to be able to flip that switch. That is a thing that you need to be able to do and a skill that you need to be able to, to learn. So that's another thing that, that they're only getting better at throughout this process. Totally. Yeah. But you know what? I'm always curious with men who are involved in our sport, especially those who maybe like didn't play men's fast pitch themselves. I did what, not. <laughs> right. So it's like, so with that being said, it's like, what is it about softball specifically? Like, I love having that like male support, but what did it for you? I don't know. That's a good question. You know, I mean, as an Alabama fan, I obviously remember 2012, stayed up real late, watched that game. I was, you know, I'd like softball, but as an Alabama fan, I wouldn't get to miss a chance to watch a national championship, even though I woke up everybody in the house at 2 a.m., whatever time it was when Alabama won. Um, and I don't know. I mean, I think it was always kind of there for me. When I went to high school in Virginia, I distinctly remember watching Marissa Runyon hit the home run against Oklahoma and Supers in uh, in a living room with a bunch of friends who I made watch the game with me. And then when I got the opportunity to call the games at Alabama for radio my freshman year, it, it just kind of it kind of kept building. I really, I really don't know where that initial love came into play. I think I just enjoy it because a, all the people are great. Um, B it's a, it's really fun to try and figure out the strategy. And I love breaking down pitchers. Um, I have been trying for years to actually be able to throw a good rise ball and I'm hoping I'm close, but uh, it's, I don't know. There are just so many fun things to like. And I love that more people are getting on board now. Um, obviously that was one of the big stories in the world series this year. The ratings were gigantic and we crushed hockey and we crushed baseball, which is hard to do and probably would be unimaginable five years later. But I'm glad a lot of people are are drinking the Kool-Aid right now. Um, I don't know what it was for me, but it just kind of happened. And it's, it's just gotten stronger every year to the point where, um, well, yes, I, uh, I'm excited about what, my career looks like if, if I'm around softball for a couple more years, I'm not going to be mad at all. I have had a complete blast covering the sport. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I'm biased though. Right. But it's like, it's just such a good product. And I'm always just curious, like what it is that others love about it, you know? And so it's, it's nice to hear that for sure. Yeah. And Um, I, I really enjoy learning. I mean, you know, one of the other things I love about softball, all of the media, are just so nice and easy to talk to. And if I have a question about what is going on with this substitution, please, for the love of God, explain flex DP. Uh, They will answer it. (laughs) And everyone is easy. Uh, Everyone wants to help each other out. Um, You know, if, if I've got a pitching question, I'll text Amanda Scarborough right now and ask her. And I think that that, I would say equal mission. Everybody knows what we're trying to do. We're all trying to grow the game. And so everybody's trying to help everybody. And I I think that just makes the connection felt by all of us who cover the sport that much stronger. And um, I know as somebody who didn't play softball, I'm really grateful for all the people who've helped me learn each and every day. Yeah, well, I, I, I agree. I think the community tends to be that way, but I think we're, 
we're also always excited for others to join the community, you know, like it's, it's not like an exclusivity thing. It's like, no, yes, come like everybody come and enjoy and and be a part of this with us. So I just, I love seeing that play out, but I also love seeing the fact that you also cover other women's sports as well. Yes. Yeah. I've, you know, as much as I love softball, it's only a couple months. So I'm really, (laughs) it's fun to get to cover other things. Um, sometimes baseball, but in particular volleyball and soccer, are kind of my my two other main sports uh, for SEC Network Plus. And I really love working with uh, Natalie Ledford for for volleyball and Haley McDonald for soccer. Um, very different sports from softball. Volleyball is somehow faster. Soccer, obviously, much slower. But it, it's still fun to see the storylines in those sports and those uh, sports drawing more interest from around the country. And I'm really excited to get to kick those off as I look at my date on the computer. I mean, we're about two weeks away from all that starting again, which is going to be really fun. I know. It's crazy that like, like the school year at least is like almost here already. I just feel like the World Series was last week. My already moved back in. I I couldn't believe it. I was like, where are you going? It's August 1st. Calm down. But nope, they're all about to start school again. Calm down is right. Like, I feel like it's so aggressive, but... Oh, well, it is what it is. But I just I think it's awesome, though, that you're kind of like a full time covering women's sports like that. Thank you for being an ally to women's sports well, like. We hey, appreciate I mean, it. And it, it what you know, it, it just kind of happened. And I'm happy it happened. I mean, I, I said yes to jobs and I've loved covering uh, women's sports and I try and get as many people as I can to watch those games. I can't tell you how many people at my high school reunion said, wow, we were we were just glued to the perfect game. I said, okay, did you, did you watch the Arizona game the night before? Uh, if you miss the Florida state games, that's okay. But we hope that you watch as much as possible and that you'll watch next year. Um, you know, whatever I can do to help because we're all just, you know, we're all just trying to make these sports better. Right. A hundred percent. That's exactly it. That is exactly it. <laughs> Well, and on that note then, because we've, we've touched on a, a lot, we could touch on so much more also, but I always wrap up with every guest with a, a game that I play called Safer Out. Okay, I love this. I don't even know what the game is and I'm ready. <laughs> so it's super simple. Basically, I'll bring something up and if you like it or you agree with it, you call it safe. If you don't like it or you don't agree with it, you just call it out. Okay. So, obstruction rule, Safer Out. Oh, out. <laughs> please please i mean uh i i wish i could explain why i don't like it but then that would require me explaining the rule and i I still don't really know what's up well, all i know why. is that yeah i mean we got to simplify it i don't know why the catcher can't do like anything if the throw is even only 95 percent perfect odds are the catcher's still gonna have to move and that'll lead to some sort of obstruction i think it's just it's just too stringent um and too complicated and frankly too tough to understand all the way around and too much of a judgment call. So I don't know. It's got to be fixed. It has to be. There are a lot of rules I don't love, but that that's second on the list. I agree because I'm pro safety, but I'm also pro clarity. Like without clarity, I don't know if we, if it is actually, you know, helping with create a safe playing environment. So it's yeah. There's a few things. We, there's always something to work on. We love this game, but we're always trying to get better, right? So that's just... I have referenced um, that as fast-growing as softball is, I think that 
we are keeping up with it in some areas and in other areas we're lagging behind to the point where if we don't fix that, uh, we're going to lose a little bit of that momentum because right. I'm still waiting on that very controversial obstruction or out of the box call at a big moment in the championship game um, that decides a champion. That day is coming real soon. And right. when that happens, people are going to be very mad. And that's not the goal. You you always want it to be based on the play on the field. You don't want exactly. the umpires to be making the decision on if it's in the W column or the L column. Yeah, 100%. Totally. Okay. Well, calling games as a broadcaster solo without a partner, safer out. Ooh. Uh, in general or comparatively? Um, however you want to interpret it. Okay. I will say in general, safe. I love talking yeah. about softball. It's fun, uh, right? It's it's harder, yeah. but it's fun. Yeah. It is. Um, comparatively, obviously, to doing with a partner out, for sure. I love yeah. the banter. <laughs> the banter is the best part. Perfect. I mean, you get to crack the jokes. You get to have a break to look up something um, instead of having to Google or check the board while also talking, while also trying to understand why the camera froze. It's just a lot going on. Uh, so I, I think comparatively doing it with people is much more fun and much more enjoyable as an experience as a broadcaster and almost definitely as a listener because nobody wants to listen to me for three hours, but they will listen to me and Sydney Little John for two and a half hours. That's much more fun. I completely agree. Like there are definitely challenges being by yourself. However, it's like if the if the option is to have one broadcaster doing it all themselves or not have a stream, it's like we're doing the solo broadcaster no matter what. Yeah. <laughs> like we need to have totally. the coverage. But you're right. Like a partner is always the best. Like it, it's so much more fun and you feed off each other. I completely agree with you. Yeah. And you learn something new every game. Exactly. And you see something you've never seen before every game. A hundred percent. All right. Well, last one is bat flips. Safer out. Oh. Wow. <laughs> um, ooh, I don't want to. I don't want people to get mad at me. I'm gonna say out though. Okay. I, I don't know. I mean, uh, I I think it depends on the time and the place. Yeah. I saw some some bat flips in games this year were players that hit a solo home run to go from losing 7-5 to losing 7-6. I'm like, really? Like, we're doing that in the sixth inning? You know, and and I know that a lot of, you know, I, I know that there are reasons people do it. I just think there's a time and a place for it. Now, if we're talking walk-off in the World Series, throw that thing over the stands. I don't care. That's awesome. You deserve that. If it's the first inning and it's a two-run homer to make it 2-1 or 2 nothing, you know, Time and a place. I, I don't think that's the appropriate time and place. That's just my that's just my stance. It, it'll probably evolve as everyone's opinion always does. No, I think that's <laughs> and, fair. Uh, we'll see. Uh, that, that's fair. I, I tend to lean the same. Actually, it's kind of like I don't. It wasn't. It's not really how I approached the game when I played. You know, so it just wasn't my style. Yeah. But I'm, I'm becoming like less judgmental about it because there are moments, like you said, where you're like, "Yeah, man, fire me up." You know, but oh. it's yeah. I mean, totally. Like two years ago, I, I think it was Sam Chow had a walk off against somebody for a second home run of a day, and they showed the bat flip, and Twitter was aghast. I mean, like, oh my gosh, we were aghast all in the press box. We're like, what? Who, what's going on? What? I mean, we sounded like you know very old people, and <laughs> now you know, you know, if it's a walk off, I'm cool with it. You know, get excited. You did it. Good work. Show off. Um, 
And you know what? If it's a walk-off, then there's not a chance for the pitcher to hit you next time up. So everything's fine. Very true. Definitely asked plenty of pitchers on this show what they thought, and you can imagine their answers. Daniel Lawyer was like, expect one in the ribs. If not you, yeah. your teammate, someone. And I was like, okay. I'm not shocked at all that <laughs> Daniel Lawyer said that. I, uh, I thought you were going to ask me about committees. I was I was ready to... I was ready to safer out committees and, and by ready to safer out, I mean, absolutely out committees. <laughs> yeah. I, I, you know, I, I, I know I'm talking to an SEC guy right now, but like the, it just didn't quite feel, it just could have been better. Right. Like, I, I don't know if anyone could disagree with the fact that it definitely could have been better. I just, I don't know. I mean, I feel like every committee I come across in softball messes up somewhere. It's still not to keep bringing up Montana, you know, Danielle Williams had a great freshman year at Northwestern. She shouldn't have been freshman of the year over Montana Fouts, and, and that looks insane now. Um, I mean, I, the selections this year, the the seedings were crazy with what the Pac-12 had to deal with from even something that was kind of on the second layer of terrible decisions, Clemson going to Tuscaloosa. That's not fair at all. Right. But the committee did that because of driving, but then they sent Michigan to Seattle. I, I don't understand. I mean, exactly. it just, it, it, none of it makes sense. And every time I, I go back to what the committee said in 19, which um, I hope that they have amended, but when Alabama was an eight national seed, we were obviously livid. There was, there was no reason why Alabama should be three seeding positions lower than the Florida team. They beat three out of four times, putting a sweep in Gainesville during the regular season or, you know, the six and seven teams, Arizona and Minnesota, who they had also beaten head to head that year, but I'm venting a little bit. But what bothered me was when I think it was softball America talked to the chairman of the committee, they said, and, and this is a direct quote, we can't go off the eye test. And that comment has always stuck with me because if we're not going off the eye test and why do we have a committee? We can just print out the RPI and that's the seeds. So I'm hoping this year, this upcoming year, because I really don't think it happened this past year, but but the committee will start actually taking into account much more the eye test. Really, the only spot it did was Oklahoma as the one seed, because you look at the metrics, Alabama and UCLA, but in particular, UCLA had better cases to be the one seed resume-wise. So they seem to use eye test in that regard, but nowhere else in the seedings. And I hope we're getting to the point where that human element is taken into account because if you're not watching the games, you absolutely have no reason whatsoever uh, to have the power to decide what these teams do and where they play in the NCAA tournament. That's, that's my soapbox. No, I completely agree because that was also, that's always an issue with West coast sports. Like if you're thinking PAC 12 in terms of like some people just aren't watching the games, it's too late for them on the East coast, whatever it is. And so they're not seeing it. Right. And it's yeah. to your point, it's like, well, if you're not seeing it, then how can you make a decision and an actual informed decision? Right. And so and it also seems like that is a selective thing. Like some some of it does seem like you went off an eye test and some of it doesn't. So, like, can we be consistent here? You know, like it's I think that's all that anybody really wants, because if it's consistent and, and feels fair, like you might not like it, but it, at least that's something that you can respect. Yeah, and you know, also we got we got to chill with the interconference super regionals matchups. It, it's agreed. We, we we need to calm down. We need to calm down with that because I I like Rachel Lawson. She's she's a good coach. 
She she seems like a very nice lady. I, I enjoyed talking with her at softball media days. Alabama did not need to play Kentucky six times this year. They they could have set Alabama up with Texas or, or literally anyone, and it probably would have been a better deal. Yeah. Uh, I like we can we can we didn't need to see Texas Oklahoma State again. I mean, we didn't need to. We didn't get it, but we didn't need to potentially see UCLA Arizona State again. UCLA ran Arizona State out of the stadium the first time they play. So I, I think it'll only make the sport better and more interesting if we can try and avoid those as much as possible. And does it open the risk, especially with Texas and Oklahoma coming, that maybe you've got seven SEC teams in supers? Yeah, maybe. But it could happen with the Pac-12. I mean, those things are cyclical, and as we've learned from this sport crazy things happen to the point where you can never expect the expected. Something wacky is always going to go down. Right. The only thing you can expect is the unexpected. That's, that's yeah. for sure. But you're touching on another nerve of mine too, because we played oh. Arizona in super regionals my freshman year. We were the eight seed. They were the nine seed. And we really, based on what, everything that happened that year, should never have played each other in that forum. Uh, we should have probably both been at the World Series, right? So totally agree with you on that. That is super frustrating to see. Yeah. Well, and it's so preventable. I mean, I think it's Florida has played five straight years of supers against an SEC team. It's crazy. Yeah. Why? Tennessee that's, has been in the same slot too. That's wild. Yeah. If you think that, I, I think the other thing is too, it's like, we know that rankings don't necessarily have much weight, if any at all, in terms of the actual seating. But a does that make any sense when the coaches are the ones like actually playing the games and and you know so it's like I think that's also counterintuitive when these seedings are not in line with the rankings which are based on the the people who are actually participating in these games like something feels off it doesn't have to be exact I'm not saying that but I'm just like to be that off feels wrong yeah I was about to I was about to say I think you're right on the money in terms of for the discrepancies to be so wide that I mean that's the real problem. I yeah. don't have an issue with a team being ranked 10th in a poll and being 13 overall seed. Sure, but if fine. they're top, if they're number one in the country and not a 16 overall seed, a la Minnesota in all my years of ran together, 2017. Yep. That's that's why what that's the other thing that I really get mad about when committees try and send messages. Everyone knew Minnesota was one of the 16 best teams that year. But the committee was trying to send a message because of non-conference strength of schedule. This year, for some very strange reason, they heavily factored non-conference strength of schedule into the seedings and decisions, which I don't understand at all because everybody knew that was going to be weird with COVID. Like, right. like you weren't going to be able to do your regular stuff. There were no Mary Nutters, Clearwaters, Judy Garmans. There was none of that. So yep. everybody just kind of had to adjust and play the maybe previously 10 and 20 group of five school down the street. And yep. I can't believe how hard teams were punished for non-conference strength of schedule this year. I thought that was ludicrous. I know. And I, the Pac-12 thought they were addressing that by adding that fourth game in a series that was a non-conference game. But then that hurts their schedule because they, they might lose to some of these teams because they're some of the top teams in the country. And then, they right. thought they were helping themselves, shot themselves in the foot, but it wasn't really communicated well, I don't think, to the coaches overall either that like that would have been something that would go against them. Not just Pac-12 coaches, but like overall. I don't know if the coaches were really aware of that to even be able to make a strategy the way that they probably would have. It was it was very confusing, and I, I tended to avoid those game threes of series. <laughs> I really didn't watch very many because you knew you were going to see – 
catastrophic something either. I, I think it was Arizona state kept Cielo Mesa in for seven innings after she gave up 16 runs and just didn't pull her. I mean, yeah. you were going to see something crazy in each one of those. And they were very rarely good games. Yeah, it's it it's wild. I do think like we're we're looking towards a a crazier but hopefully in a good way 2022 though. Oh my gosh. It I'm excited. This season's going to be nuts. I there are so many talented players who have had great careers who have gone off to do whatever they're doing next and now we're going to get to finally see the future of this sport because we really didn't get to see it last year with only a handful of freshmen actually making an impact with the expanded rosters. So I am just so pumped. I think it's wide open behind Oklahoma, but you know, they're, they're going to be, they're going to be a lot of teams. I, I think that have a real case to get back to OKC and, and maybe, maybe win that national championship this year. I'm, it's going to be fun. Also side note, can't wait to see how we can continue to develop the growth uh, because those ratings are a springboard. And we've got to we've got to play this right, ESPN. We've got to do this right and make sure that we keep growing the amount of games that are shown, not just on SEC Network Plus, but also on regular ESPN. And if we want to get an Alabama-Florida game on ABC, let's try that. We've got to keep trying to expand uh, and get more eyes on the sport next year. Yep, you said it. That's it. Nailed it. Well, thank you so much, Gray. I mean, th- this is great. Obviously, we... We both are like, hey, we could go on this tangent over here, that tangent over there, whatever. We're just here to talk softball, but I love it. So thank you for for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I hope that the listeners weren't super confused by all my wandering tangents and thoughts. Um, I, you know, I, I'm so in, like, I'm so in on softball that there are just so many things I want to talk about in every train of thought. So I'm glad I got to do some with you tonight. Of course. I mean, I they're used to my tangents, don't worry, my rambling, so we're, we're all good there. <laughs> Fun times getting to chat with someone else who covers our sport in such depth. I think the more people like Gray, right, who didn't play fast pitch himself, didn't have a family member who played or some other sort of forced connection to softball, the more people like him that we can bring into our community because they see the sport's value and they just fall in love with it, the better. That, that's what it's all about. And I love to see it. And you know, it's like, while we've made a ton of strides as a sport, we still have a lot more work to do. And we're all in to make that happen. So with that, let's transition to the foul tip of the week. This week's foul tip is about respect. If you respect the game, the game will return it to you. And when I think of respect, I actually think about Heather Tarr's go-to saying, which is, how you do anything is how you do everything. There's a reason why that sticks with the UW alums that have played for her. It was the first thing Victoria Hayward said and that she talked about when she was on the show and I asked her what she learned most from Coach Tarr. You just treat every part of the game like it matters. From picking up balls in the batting cage during practice to the big at bat in the Women's College World Series. You put the effort in and approach it the right way. Karma is a real thing. I think you reap what you sow. I really believe that. And I've seen it play out with players. I really have. And I think it's part of why Canada ended up with the bronze medal at the Olympics. They respected the game, respected the process, and respected each other. And like I said earlier, Natasha Watley talked about the sisterhood on Team USA. 
and who blends the best as a teammate. That's also a factor on who gets to represent their country. And it's also respect towards other people in this game. And even respecting yourself, right, by staying true to you. It all adds up. You know, even in the struggles, if you maintain respect in all of these ways, good things will come. Might not be exactly what you're asking for and what you're shooting for, but good things will come and you'll get more out of it for individual players and coaches, for teams, and for the softball community as a whole. So that's it. Respect. That's the foul tip of the week. You've been listening to Believe in Softball presented by Bet Online. The show is available anywhere you get your podcasts, Apple, Spotify, wherever else you listen, including Believe.com. And you can watch the videos on YouTube as well. So subscribe to the show, rate it, write a review for it, share it with your friends. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Believe in Softball. Again, B-L-E-A-V. You can always reach out to me on Twitter at JennaBacera01 and Instagram at JennaBacera as well. Thanks for tuning in and catch you soon. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.